Okay. Yes, people. It is that time of week. I hope you're ready for a two-part echo chamber. That's right, baby. We're rolling out the guns. Five films in part one. Then we've got a great conversation around a short film in part two. Okay, so uh, definitely a lot to stay tuned for. But as we do, we're gonna start off with the UK box office top ten for the weekend of the third to the fifth of November. So at number ten, it's some motherland right the new film from adam deacon which he co-wrote with michael vu and jazzy zazulo deacon also stars in the film with jennifer saunders danny sapani peter serafowitz ed sheeran jazzy zafirlio jamie winston right at number nine, it's the creator from Gareth Edwards. He co-wrote with Chris Welts. It stars John David Washington, Madeline Yuna Voles, Gemma Chan, Addison Yanni, Ken Watanaba, Sturgill Simpson. Right at number eight, it is the new one from David Gordon Green. It's The Exorcist Believer. Green also co-wrote with Peter Salter and Scott Teams. It stars Jennifer Nettles and Dodd, Ellen Bernstein, Leslie Odom Jr., Raphael Sharg, Olivia O'Neill. Right. So that means people... Our number seven film is Bottoms, right? This is from Emma Seligam. She co-wrote with Angel S- with Rachel Sanut. It stars Sanut along with Ayo Edebori, Ruby Cruz, Havana Rose Lou, Kia Garba, Nicholas Gultzine, Miles Fuller. Mashawn Lynch, Dagamara Domitrovic. So at number six, we have Oliver Parker's The Great Escaper, which was written by William Ivory. It stars Michael Caine, Galenda Jackson, Wolf Carla, Carlisle Peer, John Standing, Laura Marcus. So, we are in the top five, and at number five, we have Paw Patrol, The Mighty Movie. Dum, dum, dum. So, this is from Carl Bunker. He co-wrote it with Bob Barlin and Shane Morris. Voice cast is Kirsten Bell, Taji P. Hansen, James Marsden, Lil Ray Howery, McKenna Grace, Ron Pardue, Christian Convy, Marissa Martin, and others. Right at number four, it's Taylor Swift, The Ezra's Tour. 
Sam Wrench is on camera, and it's a film about Taylor Swift's touring, right? Um, at number three, it's Killers of the Flower Moon, Martin Scorsese's new epic, which he co-wrote with Eric Roth, based on the book from David Gran. We've got Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, Lily Gladstone, Jesse Plemons, Tanto Cardinal, John Lithgow, Brendan Fazer, Cara Jada Myers. Man, we looked at it during the film festival, so you can find it there on the website, right? It's an epic, but boy, it is unrelenting. So at number two, it's Five Nights at Freddy's, right? Based on the computer games. This is from Emma Tammy, which she co-wrote with Scott Corfran and Seth Cuddyback. Uh, um, it stars Josh Hutchison, Elizabeth Lau, Pippa Rubio, Mary Stuart Matheson, and Matthew Lillard. So, it would mean the number one film this week is Trolls Band Together. Tim Hitz and Walt Dahon direct and Elizabeth Tippett, Glenn Berger, and Jonathan Abel write. It's the voice cast of David Diggs, Anna Kendrick, Zoe Dachanel, Justin Timberlake, Kanal Naya, Christopher Mint, please, Andrew Pinnells, Eric Andre, Amy Schumer. Yeah. So that's the top 10. Let us now get into this week's five films, people. Strap in. Let's go. Okie dokie. So let's start things off with Netflix's original film, Nyad. Okay, so Nyad has finally hit Netflix. And um, yeah, I checked it out, people, right? So this is directed by Jimmy Chin and Elizabeth Chai Vashali. It's written by Julia Fox, Julia Cox, even. Um, okay, so it is produced by Andrew Lazar. Uh, Teddy Swazman. It's executive produced by Julia Cox, Michael Himmler, Vanessa Humphrey, Bill Johnson, uh, D. Scott Lumpkin, Jim Sibel, associate produced by Fiona Campbell Westgate. Um, it is co-produced by Luca Borghis. Um, and we have Jamie Marshall and Timothy Wheeler also uh, doing some production with that. Alexandra Desplat handled the music. Claudio Miranda, cinematography. 
Christopher Telisven edits the piece. Casting was handled by Avi Kaufman. Um, Valerie Daniela Hernandez Olofsson. Uh, production design is Cara Lindstorm. Art direction is Elizabeth Boiler and Maria Fernanda Sabogal. Set decoration is Yelani Mendoza. And costume design is Kelly Jones. All right, our cast. Well, Diana Nyad is played by Annette Benning. Her best friend, Bonnie Stuhl, is played by Jodie Foster. We have got um, younger versions of Diana at five, played by Belle and Pearl Darling. Right. At the age of 14, she's played by Anna Harriet Pittman. Um, okay, yeah, they're all the iterations of Diane. Uh, we have John Barlett, played by Reese Ifans. We've got Luke Tipple, played by Luke Cosgrove. Dee Brady, played by Carly Rothenberg. We've got the first medic, played by Grace Sebevi. Um, and then the new medic, John Ross, played by Garland Scott. The jellyfish expert, Angel Yangahari, played by Gina Yi. Uh, we have got... Um, Nico, played by Ethan Jones Romaro. Um, Nadia, played by Nadia Lawrence. Um, Naomi, played by Erica Chu. Mia, played by Ofa Salimata. Anna, played by Tisola Logan. Um, Susan, played by Marcella Akuna Baz. Lucy, played by Haraka Ilana. Miguel, played by Rodriguez Hanla. Coach Jack Nelson, played by Eric T. Miller. Aris, played by Johnny Solo. Um, that was her dad. Um, Elise, played by Caroline McCormick. Candice is played by Anne-Marie Kemp. Okay, yeah, I feel that's probably the uh, the main lot of people. Uh, so the gist of the story, a riveting chapter in the life of world-class athlete Diane Nyad. Three decades after giving up marathon swimming, in exchange for a prominent career as a sports journalist, and at the age of 60, Diane becomes obsessed with completing an epic swim that always eluded her. The 110-mile trek, it's 103 miles, actually. 103-mile trek from Cuba to Florida, often referred to as the Mount Everest of swims, determined to become the first person to finish the swim without a shark cage, 
Diane goes on a thrilling four-year journey with her best friend and coach, Bonnie Stuhl, and a dedicated sailing team. So, um, yes, it's a, like 110 is what it actually took because of the, the wind and the waves, but the actual distance is 103. So the film is based on... Uh, Diane's autobiography, her memoir, Find a Way, right? And it is the feature directorial debuts from Jimmy Chin and Elizabeth Chai Bashali, right? Who, um, you know I mean? They're filmmakers, right? But they, they've been doing documentaries. Free Solo, their biggest one, uh, which you might recognize the names from. So there was a definitely a good chunk of things which was compelling about this film to check it out, right? I missed it during the London Film Festival. It is running the same day as Pool Man. And as this was hitting Netflix, I figured I would give Pool Man a look. I mean, Pool Man stunk, right? <laughs> Pullman was not a good film, uh, but you know, I, I, it's always good to try and maximize what you're doing, right? So it kind of made sense to wait, right? But yeah, I was interested. Now the way it opens up, like I was a bit irritated because I'm just like, oh man, she's gonna die, right? Because the, the way they're talking and everything, you know, but it is just talking about basically it's that first attempt that she made. But you do think, oh, is she gonna die? And then just remember, no, she no, this is a real story, right? She's actually alive. So yes, no, she does not die. But it's kind of set up. So you know, I mean, she's had a 60th birthday and she's kind of moaning. Right. And that's when Bonnie's like, oh, find something, find something to kind of throw yourself into. Right. And then she kind of is just like this thing that's been eating at her all these years, this swim. So she's like, oh, I'm going to do that. So we're watching all of these attempts. Right. And you do wonder at the beginning. Because. When she makes that first attempt, we're not even an hour into the film, right? So you're thinking, okay, something must happen because there's no way we are going to just watch her swim for an hour, right? But yes, then there's several attempts made, you know? So it's interesting. It's interesting. She's a, a, not a nice person. I mean, well, mm, not a nice person is, is, no, that's not fair. But she's just an asshole, right? She's a kind of self-centered. She's a bit of a dick, you know? Whew. Yeah, it, it's hard to like Diana Nyad from what we see in here. Now, obviously, she might be different in real life when you're having a proper conversation. But damn, yeah, she comes off as a dick. Right, the, the real sensation of this film, for me, was friggin' Jodie Foster. Oh my God, Jodie Foster really kills it. I think because Diane, she doesn't 
you know what I mean, really show a whole heap of emotions, right? Because she's so self-centered and so focused, it's, I'm going to do this, you're going to do it with me, come on, I'm not giving up, you shouldn't give up, oh, you're pathetic, you know, that's her, basically, all the way through, there's some, you know, it's not one note, obviously, but essentially, that's it, but with Bonnie, you know what I mean, we're seeing so much, right, because she's trying to support her friend, you know, she's trying to kind of iron out a lot of the, the you know what I mean, the abrasive things that Diane does, and she's very emotional, you know, because, because she wants this for a friend, but then she just feels that she's being taken advantage of a bit, so we're just seeing so much here, and goddamn, Jodie Foster just gives us everything, gives us everything, it is a remarkable performance, at the very end of the film, we do see archival footage, and it is crazy how much a lot of these characters were pretty much on the mark with the casting. Yo, Reefer fans really looks like John Bartlett. I think it was a solid, solid job. Annette Bet beating really does look a, very much like Diana and I had. Well, I mean, they made it look like that, right? And Bonnie, like, Jodie Foster is pretty close to Bonnie. I mean, Bonnie's taller, a bit broader on the shoulders, but yeah, it's very close, right? So that was like, yo, that's always a good look. You know, when you have these films that are based on true and that the person, you know what I mean? Like they've made the person look a whole lot better than they actually do, or just, you know what I mean? They, they Some of the things they do, it is a bit like, uh, what are we doing? What are we doing? Come on, man. But this, yeah, that, that was great. The underwater shots were very good. The underwater shots, the hallucination shots, I thought were very well done. You know, there was a lot on the production side that really works. You know, like the cinematography was nice. I mean, and because, you know, essentially she's out in the ocean swimming. But we, we do get some very, you know, I mean, just the way it's all framed up and just everything, the night swims and all of that. It's done really well. You know, they got a lot of things right, like the mask she wears, the wetsuits, the swimsuits, all of that is, yeah, really well done, really well done. With it just being over two hours, it does feel long, right? It does feel long at times, you know, and I think it does seem to, I don't know, tread water a little bit in the middle, you know, does tread water a little bit in the middle, but at the end, 
Oh, you do get hit with that little emotional punch. You do get that at the very end. I will definitely say that. So it is it's, it's compelling. You know, performances are pretty great. Pretty great. I mean, all the other the supporting cast, really good. Just really good. You know, Reese. again. Like Jody, just gives us a masterful performance there, you know. So I think all of there's a lot to like about this film. You know, it's not like with stuff like Free Solo. I think you, I was interested all the way through. You know, it didn't seem long. You didn't really notice the time at all. So, yeah, there, there's a slight difference in the documentary work and this. But as their first narrative film, it's not bad. It's not bad at all. You know, really good performances, very well shot. Just that kind of lag. Just that lag in the middle. Just that lag in the middle, you know what I mean? But... It's definitely worth a look if you do like your autobiography kind of films, you know, those films based on true life, then I think you will probably like Nyad. You'll want to check it out. You want to see what's going on. But yes, it, you know, it, it's not as you know what I mean, impactful as things like Free Solo or Nine Peaks, you know what I mean, but yeah, it's still, it's, it's not a bad film, it's not great, but it's not terrible, you know, it, it's, it's decent, Nyad, it's decent, so yeah, it's now on Netflix, so yeah, there you go people, there you go, I will say, Right, obviously, I think they didn't want to make too much of the... They didn't want to make it just about the abuse. But, it, yeah, you do feel that it, it, it's probably more of an impact than what we see. You know, you'd feel... Like, I might be wrong, but you kind of feel something like that, you know, leave scars. And especially with some of the things that are said, you can see that there is something there. So, yeah, maybe, like, that should have come a bit suit. I don't know. I don't know. But, yeah, you know, Nyad, it is now streaming on Netflix. <laughs> Next up, we have the psychological thriller, Screwdriver. Okay, so my boy Justin just hit me up with a new psychological thriller called Screwdriver. This is written and directed by Cairo Smith in his feature-length debut. The film is produced by Cairo Smith, Michel Shindu, and Rand Vossler. It's executive produced by Serge Wilson, Luke 
Taylor, our Christopher Corey Smith, Craig and Corinne Howlitz, Matthew Helderman, its associate produced by Miranda Sarah Enney, and Claire Elise Williams. Sean Renner handles the music, Justin Kundel, cinematography, Wei Yang Lee edits the piece, Miranda Sarah Enney handled the casting, Aria Wizjishk was on costume design, hair and makeup, we have Josin Vasquez, Olga Tanovadeska, and Michelle Shundu, and our cast. Well, Emily is played by Anna Claire Hicks. Robert is played by Charlie Farrell. We've got his wife, Melissa, played by Millie Sanders. And Sean is played by Matt Monroe. Uh, the gist of the film is blindsided by divorce. 33-year-old Emily leaves her adopted Nebraska behind, returning to California with nothing but a suitcase in hand. She seeks refuge in the home of an old high school friend and his pharmacologist wife. The childless couple welcome Emily into their lives, but their hospitality soon gives way to a surreal plot of cult-like manipulation and betrayal. As days bleed together, Emily falls into a delirious tailspin, forcing her to question her faith, her sanity, and the intentions of her generous hosts. So... Yeah, it is. It's, 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 it's very twisted and creepy, right? We we first meet up, and Emily's sitting on the sofa, and she's talking to, uh, you know, talking to her buddy, old Robert, right? And you're wondering, yeah, you're wondering why. Like, you know, what's brought her there exactly, you know? Like, a load of things have been going on. Like, we know, we find out she's been divorced and everything. But there's not really a clear, I don't think there was, it didn't seem like there was a clear reason why she was there. But, you know, she's going to be helping Robert with some work, right? And, uh, yeah, it's all a bit, I don't know, Melissa's happy she's there, but we get, then get these looks like there's something else going on, right? There's something else going on. Now, as in the synopsis, it says they don't have children, right? There, there's been reasons for that. So I think there is a point in the film where you suspect the reason um, Emily is there, right? You you think, okay, right, I think this is where it's going. But there is nothing 
that kind of indicates that fully, right? By the end of it, I feel the picture is clear, right? You know what the intentions are and everything like that. But, the, you know what I mean? During the film, during this process, the journey we are on as viewers, there's just this whole heap of manipulation and twistedness that is crazy, you know? I think that... Um, we get a, a very believable performance of like delirium from Anna Claire Hicks and, you know, Charlie Farrell and Millie Sanders kind of do a, 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 a nice job of showing this manipulation, right? So we get that. So that works but it's just the rationale behind it that you're a little bit lost at. And the relationship between Robert and Melissa, at times it does feel a bit weird, right? It does feel a bit weird. And there is the indication that there is something else happening, but that doesn't really become clear. Right, there's there feels like there's manipulation within manipulation, but you're just like, okay, why? What? I'm not sure. I'm not sure what that is, and that's not really resolved. But the um, yeah, the main thing, it, you know, by as I said, by the end of this, right, it, it's around ninety minutes, you know. Um, so by the end, you go, okay, that's what this whole thing was about. But then the question is, why not just a conversation, you know? Like, why was not just the question asked, right? That, I think that's the, the big thing that was with me as, this, as the credits rolled. It was just like, okay, this isn't an out-of-the-box Thing, right, we, we see people in this situation all the time, and a load of people volunteer, you know, they volunteer to it, they, you know, for certain things, you know, like money, or, you know, I mean, there's just different reasons why people do this thing, but it happens, so it's just like, okay, why then this, you know, you feel that we need something to show that all of these other things were tried and it wasn't going anywhere. So this was the, you know, there's only one way we can get what we want. And it's this, right? I think that would have made it a bit more feasible, viable, you know, that you could actually go, okay, right. This makes sense. Because at the moment, right, like, as I said, the actual effects of the manipulation and all of that, yeah, that's all done very well, you know? It's believable, because it's clear she's looking a state, and the fact that Robert and Melissa aren't going, are you okay? 
you know what I mean? Show you, you know what I mean? You understand, yeah, yeah, there's something crazy happening. But it's just, why? Why go this route, right? That's the big thing here. Now, you know, showing the situation, all of that kind of stuff, Smith does a good job. So we definitely can see some promise here. But yeah, there's just, I feel, in the writing, there's areas that could do with a little clarity, you know? Or, you know, because it, it, it's not a case that you always have to let the viewer know every single thing. But I feel you need to show a, a reason for, right? A valid reason for this situation. Otherwise, it just feels like a random situation. So I think moving forward, yeah, those things, you know, if those things are worked on, I think Smith can, you know, yeah, do some good things, you know? But it is, yeah, we'll have to see what happens, right? But Screwdriver will be available on all your favorite VODs from Friday the 10th of November. So, yes, people, if this kind of thing catches your, uh, you know, and, and I think if you liked um, Alone at Night, right, we covered that, oh, in episode 272, I believe. Right. So if, if you like that, nothing screwdriver will work for you, you know. But yeah, it's out on the tenth on all your favorite VODs. Enjoy. Next up, people, it is an, a film from Signature Showdown at the Grand. Okay, people, we have a last-minute addition from Signature, right? It is called... Oh, what am I doing? Yes, here we go. It is called Showdown at the Grand. This is a written and directed by Orson Ob Oblowitz. The film is produced by Mira... Pack Howard, Christian De Galgos. It's executive produced by Matthew Helderman, James Holt, Valerie Lopez, Thomas Mann, Gregory McLaughlin, Hanny Selmy, and Luke Taylor. Daniel Delara handles the music, Noah Rosenfall, cinematography, Brett Solom edits the piece, Coca Regal was on costume design, production management is Maggie Walsh, um, dum, dum, dum. art department is Laura Seaman, and our cast, well, Terence Howard plays George Fuller, right? We have got his um, concessions assistant, a new hire, Spike, played by Pippa Curda. His friend Lucky is played by John Savage. 
Um, and his favorite film star, Claude Luke Halliday, is played by Dolph Lundgren. Then there is Lynn. Ooh, yes, old Lynn, the uh, villainous. Um, Oh God, <laughs> the, 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 the corporate, uh, yeah, Lynn, Lynn Schradner, right? She is played by Amanda Rigetti. Uh, one of her henchmen, Reed, is played by Mike Ferguson. Um, and the other one, Burton, is played by John Sakaloff. Mm, yeah. That is the main cast. So the gist of the film is this. A proud movie theater owner must defend his family business from corporate developers alongside a legendary action star as art imitates life in a showdown for the ages. Hmm. Okay. Well, we have got a couple of statements. Um from the director, writer, and the producer. So Orson Oblowitz said, this film was written in the early stages of lockdown. As we watched movie theaters shutter across the globe, it forced us to imagine a world where the cinema ceased to exist as gentrification overran our neighborhoods. Showdown is a tribute to that dark, musty place, as well as to movies of the past that, though may have been made on a shoestring budget, were full of bravado and style, helping us to understand politics, violence, emotions, all the while giving us 90 minutes of respite from all the madness. This has been a wild ride from conception to completion, but I cannot thank enough the amazing cast, crew, and partners we've had along the way. His producer, Christian de Galagos, said this, this was a labor of love for Orson and I, and we couldn't be prouder of what we hope will become a cult film and cult about cult films. The journey to make Showdown ended up an ironic manifestation of production showdowns, ultimately crescending at the Warner Grand. But it was all worth it, and we were blessed with an iconic lead who who fought the good fight along with us. I mean, that's kind of ambiguous. Like, huh? The manifestation of production showdowns. So what, like, what happened? You know what I mean? That, that's, yeah, that's an odd way to leave it. I feel making a film to be a cult film, that never seems to go well, right? Because you're doing things to kind of be like, oh, yeah, people loved it. Yeah, let's throw this in there. And Like a cult film just becomes a cult film. You know what I mean? There's no rhyme or reason to it. Like there's some stinkers that have just become cult films or films that didn't blow up for whatever weird reason. 
suddenly become cult films, right? It, I don't think you can manufacture that. So uh, that's interesting. And it's like, it's a cult film about cult films. Mm, well, I don't know, because the films in the film are all fictional, right? We have Necropolis, Moses v. the Nazis, Iraqnophobia, right? So Iraq is in Iraq, you know, Cyber Cartel, Blood is for the Living, and Death in the West, right? We see clips of all of these films which um, were starring, you know, John, look, Luke people, my, my just, brah, <laughs> starring Claude Luke Holiday, right, Dolph Lundgren's character, those, those were his films, you know what I mean, so, um, yeah, we're, we're watching this film because George, right, our uh, leading man, played by Terence Howard, George Fuller, he loves Claude Luke Holiday films, you know, that's his favorite film star. These are his favorite films. So, yeah, we, we you know, we see him in this, and, like, and it's, he's got hard times, right? It's never full, you know? It's never full, but he's persevering, persevering to keep this running. And hires Spike, right? That's one of our early things. We see Spike come in. You can tell she is a film lover, which he's questioning, right? Which So that's a bit weird, right? There's some weird things happening here. It's like the whole questioning of Spike's love of film. As I feel a conversation reveals your love of film. Right, and it's not knowing all the titles and things like that. It's the the passion in which you talk about it, right? Can show your love of this medium. So that whole conversation was a little weird, right? And then he's basically saying you work for free because he's like, I'll take you on as an intern, and interns don't get paid, right? So it's just a bit like. Huh, that's kind of shitty, right? So at that point, we think that's it. And you think like, oh, has he got no money? But then he's paying for a first-class ticket and all these other things. And you're just like, okay, so there is money. Might not There might not be a whole heap, but there's money. So uh, what's happening here? You know? So that's, that was weird. And... Another, like, the the cinema, you know, it, this corporation wants to buy it, right? It, it's buying land so it can build this big complex, which, you know, we've seen, we, we've seen happen, right, in gentrification. But knowing what is wanted and some of the escalation that this corporation is looking to do, we don't really see George 
put in any contingencies, right? He's banking on this big appearance from uh, Halliday. But that's just giving him money, right? It's not like the corporation is like, oh, well, give us some money and we'll leave you alone. No. So, right, that's for him to, you know, pay his bills. But there's nothing in place to counter what might happen, which is very weird because he's watched all of these films, all of these corny, let's say, 80s, right, 80s films. And he would then have, an, like, just an inkling of what this escalation might be. You know what I mean? But no, there's there's just nothing. There's nothing that he does, which does feel very weird. You know? Like, where this film does shine, right? I will say this. Where this film shines is these pseudo-movies, right? These little vignettes that we see throughout. Because they do feel like those crazy 80s B-movies, like, we in the UK, they would be showing late night on, like, Channel 4 or ITV, you know what I mean? That's where you might see those films, right? A lot of times there'd be things and it's horrendously dubbed. And if I'm saying they're horrendously dubbed, people, oh, it's bad, right? Because... My sight is so bad. I don't usually notice that when something is, you know, the, the 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 dialogue is out of sync with the people's lips. But these films were so bad, you could clearly see, <laughs> right? The the mouth movement would be like, and then a, a, you know, a minute later, the dialogue, right? <laughs> it was so crazy. So these vignettes, these pseudo films. They did remind you of that, the way they got, like, the grain effect, like, the, the, just the color grading, just all of that made you think of those, right? The, the dialogue. Oh, my gosh. I think there's a bit when, um, what film was it? I think it must have been... Um, Oh, no, it wouldn't have been, gosh, it's the uh, the cyber one, right? Cyber cartel. I feel... No, 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 no. It wasn't the cyber cartel. It was blood is for the living because it was the vampire one. And uh, <laughs> Logan's character, right? Claude Luke Halliday is squaring off with the big bad vampire. And I think he says sometimes, like, you better watch out because I'm going to bring the rain. And she's like, I don't mind getting wet. <laughs> You're just like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Bad. Oh, oh my, it was so bad. But 
as I said, it reminded you of those films. So those made me smile. Those were fun. Right? Those were a lot of fun. The rest of the film, I don't know, the rest of the film was very up and down. Right? The dialogue was all over the place. Right? There wasn't a real rationale for what was happening. You know, because, as I said, there's no plans put in place by George, right? There was no, in the first instance, like, calling the police or anything. There was none of that. So, it, it, like, the, it just doesn't necessarily make any sense, right? The, just the trajectory of what is going on, you know? And then... <sighs> The last fight scene, with the way we see the body movement, what happens makes no sense whatsoever, right? Because you're going, okay, if that happened, then something else would have happened, but it hasn't. So, what blow? What blow with this, man? What's going down? You know what I mean? It's, uh, yeah, it's crazy. I don't know, man. Like, if you like B-movies, right? If you're a fan of those straight-to-DVD, straight-to-videos, classics from back in the day, right? I say classics. Um, none of them were classics, but they were classics for the people that love that stuff. You know what I mean? If that's what you like, then I think you will like this. You know what I mean? Like, I felt that it was kind of trying to channel things like Ghost Dog, right? Remember that film, Lawrence Fishburne, The Samurai? That was so fucking good, right? About a guy kind of stuck in the, in the past in some ways, but following this moral code, right? But everyone else was just like, Fuck that shit. You know what I mean? And this, George Fuller, is, he's our ghost dog, right? But it's, it's just the film doesn't hold up like ghost dog, unfortunately. You know what I mean? It doesn't. But, yeah, if you're a fan, you know what I mean? If, if you're a fan of that type of film, then I think this will work for you, right? I am a little bit confused, though, right? I will tell you this about Olsen's statement, right? About how, um, you know, gentrification was shutting down and in lockdown, that's why the theatres were shutting. That wasn't really why the theatres shut during lockdown, right? And what I mean when I say shut, I mean closed for good, went out of business, right? Because, yeah, the, you know, being shut meant they made no money, right? But where was your slush fund? You know what I mean? That That's what happened to cinemas, that there was no contingency plan put in place. And there's a whole heap of things that might shut a cinema, right? Like, remember when there was that mass shooting in the cinema, uh, you know, I think it was like a decade ago, right? Wasn't it when Batman Returns opened? Something like that. 
that can shut cinemas, right? Fires, just, you know what I mean? It, like, there's different things that can shut a cinema. So you'd think there would be a plan in place to counter for those things. But they didn't, right? People weren't going to cinemas because it's so friggin' expensive. And the, you know, the offer isn't always worth what you're paying, right? When, you know, you can go into cinemas and they let people talk and act up with, you know, there's no checks by the, um, by the staff and it's a mess. So would you really pay on the reg to go to that? Say, no, no, you wouldn't. Like concessions are crazy expensive. You're not paying to go to that cinema. So there was a load of things, the cinemas that what they were doing that brought about their own demise, right? Now, when you find a great cinema, you know, great staff, great service, great value, you go back. You know what I mean? That's it, right? So there's been gentrification issues that have um, shut down cinemas, right? They're, they're trying to close down the Curzon in Soho in, the, in London, right? And, um, you know, the Curzon is fighting, you know, you can sign a petition and all of that jazz. Now, that is gentrification. But the Curzon, you know what I mean? If it wasn't for that, they're not shutting. They're good. So, yeah, the, that message is a little bit weird. But that was a little tangent from me. Anyway, people, this will be out, right? This film will be dropping for you on Monday, the 13th of November. So it'll be on all your favorite VODs. There's a link for the Apple um, Apple TV. You can purchase it there. So, yeah, if this feels like it's a, a film for you, you like those 80s B movies that were straight to DVD, then Showdown at the Grand could be just your thing. All right? Now we have a... Uh, Crime actioner, it is muscle. Okay, people. So, um, yeah, we've got another signature joint, and it is called Muzzle. Right, this is the new film from John Stahlberg Jr., who co-wrote it with Carlisle Eubank. The film is produced by David Frigerio, uh, Ford Corbett. Uh, we got Nathan Klinger, uh, Ryan Winterston, and John Stallbrook Jr. It's executive produced by Michael Ways, uh, Anthony Standberry. Dallas Sonia, Kyle Smithson, Delphine Perrier, Tim O'Hare, Roy Scott McFarland, 
Michael Jefferson, Joshua Harris, Avi Haas, David Gagilamo, Greg Friedman, Arena Fraser, Jatin Dazzy, Cindy Brew, and Adam Baisley. It's co executive juice by Stephen Chris Fusfus. Um, um, Scott Powell and Caleb Ward. Yeah, that's uh, that's it. Okay, music was handled by Paul Gallister, Petir Vernier was on cinematography, Bella Erickson edits the piece, David Gilmo. Handled the casting, while Andrew Resnick was on production design. Megan Gillespie, set decoration. And Susan Dopnersnek, costume design. Hair and makeup, we have Latonya Payne, Angela Lawson, Cecile Jones, Alicia Brownlee. Hadley, uh, James Fried, Frederick, Tamika Elliott. All right, so that takes us to our cast. All right, Aaron Eckhart is Jake Rosier. Um, we've got a, a friend, Detective Ramos, played by Delicia Reynolds. Um, there's Leyland, played by Stephen Lang. He's the dog handler coach. Uh, we've got Officer O'Keefe, played by Kyle Smithson. Uh, Captain Freeman, played by Nick Searcy. Officer Reed, played by Paul Johannesson. Uh, there's Mia, the love interest, played by Penelope Mitchell. Hernandez, played by Diego Tinko. Um, Aldo Damon, played by Granger Hines. And Santiago Perez, played by Hermke Madeira. Um, there's also like Vincent, played by Joseph Sanchez. Um, the EMT, played by Gonzalo Rubbles. Um, who else? Ajo, played by Luis Chavez. Um, hmm, I don't think we have got the uh, wheels. Hmm. Nope. Not that I can see. But yeah, that's our cast. Now the gist of the film is this. Dum dum Hold on. I've lost it. Ah, uh, here we go. LAPD K9 officer Jake Rusa and his K9 partner Ace battle it out on the streets of LA when they get into a shootout with local drug dealers and Ace is shot dead. 
in a moment of crisis, Drake, yeah, Jake tries to get an EMT to look at Ace and assaults him when he refuses, resulting in him taking leave from the force. Blocked by internal affairs, muzzled by his own superiors from finding the shooter's identity, Jake resolves to go rogue and partners with Socks, a violent canine with titanium incisors and a mysterious past. Jake and Socks aim to uncover a vast conspiracy that has a chokehold on the city and takes vengeance on those responsible. Dum, dum, dum. So, yeah, that's the film, man. And um, it's not bad, right? I, I think... It's going for that gritty feel, you know, like something like Homicide Life on the Streets, The Wire, you know, The Shield, right? All of those things come to mind when you watch Muzzle, you know? Now, I don't think it gets to those heights, but it takes a swing right? It, it's got ambition to be. And, you know, you, I feel you, you have to commend people trying. As I said, look, it's not terrible. You know, there's been plenty of films of this ilk that just don't cut it, right? And you're just like, oh, man, that's not really, uh, yeah, that's not really get him to that place, like, what are we, what are we seeing here, so, um, yeah, I will give Muzzle that, right, so we, I think it starts off, and uh, Jake is talking to someone in a car, right, having this conversation, so you get the sense that, okay, he's served, right, he, he's been to war, and then the camera pans. But the way he's talking, obviously, you I think you understand. He's not talking to a human. You know, he's talking to his dog, right? I, I, I think that's all pretty clear. Like, you can see what they're trying to do. And you can see what this is, right? So I, I think those things come across, you know, so it sets it out, right? That this is a guy who's, he's probably not great at communications, you know, he's a bit of a loner, a bit of a, a rogue, right, and he's got his trusty dog that he can count on, so they're in a situation, it goes south, it goes south, it's crazy, but in that situation, you can see, oh, there's some other things afoot here, right, it, 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 it kind of gives you that look, you know, that kind of, hmm, what is happening, where is this going, right, so you, you have all of that that we're watching, um, now, it does kind of set up some conspiracies, which I think because we don't really get timelines here. So it's like, how long has this all taken? Right? 
from the from the shooting we see at the start to the end, what's that time frame? Because on the face of it, there's a lot of things that seem to fall into place pretty quickly. You know, it does fall into place pretty quickly. So that's yeah. I mean, that's a slight issue here, right? And I think the scale of this whole situation, you you do kind of think, mm, I don't think one person is doing it on their own. Now, if this was a Liam Neeson film, right? If this was one of those 80s, like, raw deal or something like that, yeah, you got Maverick Cop, goes undercover, does it all himself. The reality, it's not, <laughs> right? It's not going. And when you watch something like The Wire, you can see that, that this shit, it's not fast. These things do not move fast, right? There's so much bureaucracy and tape and just all of that. It can take months, if not years. Right. So, you know, Muzzle is trying to play, as I said, it's trying to play it more like The Wire than, you know, a Taken, something like that. So I think the, the, the time does play a big part in this story. You know, and then the ease of which everything goes down. Right. And one person being able to do all of that. Yeah, you know, you, you you can roll your eyes. The acting is decent, right? The acting is decent. Though I do feel that they play a situation between um, Jake and uh, I think it's, uh, I think it's O'Keefe, right? I, I might be, uh, yeah, I might be slightly mistaken. I think it's O'Keefe, right? They they play this situation where it is a little, you know what I mean? I, I just think it's, it doesn't necessarily make any sense, you know? So I, I think certain things are done to lead you in certain directions and all of that, but it, doesn't always make sense. Then we have the the love interest Mia, which she's his neighbor, right? And the first time we see her, it feels like they don't know each other. But then you get an understanding because she uses his name. So you're like, oh, they know each other, right? So it's very very odd and then when it goes further from that it's just like okay is this the first what's happening here right but it is something that seems to happen very quickly but because we don't really see anything of it like in any real depth or substance it's hard to believe the veracity of the situation you know what I mean it's hard to then buy a scene that comes a bit later. Because you're just like, wait, where are we with this? You know what I mean? 
so yeah there is that right but as i said like the for the most part the acting is solid right it's it is an interesting story even though you know it's all kind of resolved and done pretty seamlessly you know a little bit too easily but it is it's an interesting one you know what I mean? And I think they deal with certain subjects that I think, you know, that yeah, that's got weight, right? And then I think just the whole dog thing and the 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 scene of the dog being an officer, right? Which you do feel if the situation at the start is explained, there might not be as much craziness as we have, right? but it's not really explained why it's not being explained. So there are things going on where you just think <clears throat> a little more context would have been good here, right? I think we looked at a film, I think it was in episode 238, right? All Gone Wrong. Oh my God, that was a great film. You know, corrupt police, a conspiracy situation. I think... Muzzle is trying to be that, but it doesn't quite get there. Doesn't quite get there. But it's, as I said, it's not terrible. Like, it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's one of those watches you can throw on on a rainy day. And it's a, it's a decent hour and 40 minute distraction, you know? You're not going to be talking about it after the event, right? You're not going to be having deep conversations with your people being like, yo, man, what? when Jake did that thing, what did you think, right? What do you think the, the thought is around blah, blah, blah? It's, you're not going to be doing that. But it's a decent distraction, okay? So, right, muzzle will be hitting... Prime video on Tuesday, the 14th of November. So if you do like this kind of film, you enjoyed All Gone Wrong and you want something a little similar, then uh, yeah, Muzzle could be that film for you, people. And let's bring things home with the Christmas film, You'll Tide the Knot. Well, people, it is November, so you knew the Christmas films had to start, right? They had to start. So we took a look at Yuld Tide the Knot. This is from director Nanea Mayata. She co-wrote it with Daniel Mala Landman. Um, yeah. Nam Namnea also produced the film along with Ryan Moon and Claudia Schwartz. It's associate produced by Peter Porte. Matthew Atticus Berger handles the music. Jay Kaufman, cinematography. Casting was Jamie Gallagher and Sarah Wallace. Costume design is Ryan Lanell Redman. 
hair and makeup, we have Carol Sudidian and Brillel McKenna. Um, some editing stuff from John Sellers and our cast. Well, Rachel is played by Mary Antonini. Um, her sisters, Caroline, played by Kelly Jackal, and Danielle, played by Kelsey Scott. Uh, okay, so um, Danielle also has a daughter, Maddie, played by Celestina Harris. Uh, their dad, James, is played by Stephen Howard. Uh, his girlfriend, Beverly, is played by Julia Sanford. We've also then got Logan, played by Peter Porte. Right? Uh, there's Ron, who is Danielle's husband, played by Adam Ambroso. And there's Mr. Michaels, played by Marcus Troy, who is, um, I think that's Logan's dad. Right. Uh, there's also do, 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 Susan, played by Rachel Lecoy, and Susan's getting married. Right. Uh, yeah. Oh, actually, no. Ron is Susan's betrothed. Yes, that's it. Daniel's husband isn't actually listed, it would seem. Right. Now, the gist of the film is this. Small town wedding, small town wedding planner, Rachel, is planning her biggest Christmas wedding for an influencer castle couple. It's thrown a surprise when the bride's manager turns out to be Logan her first love and high school sweetheart, her one that got away. Yeah. Yes, people, that is it, right? That's the jam. And, you know, right? This is a Christmas movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's the typical quintessential Christmas movie, you know what I mean, I think everything that you expect, you will find, right, it does, it, it screams, um, Hallmark, Whoa, I was just like, my mind just went blank, man, screams Hallmark, I feel we looked at one last year called Mistletoe Ranch, I believe, Right? And it's like, if you like that, you will like this. You know what I mean? I think that's the thing. Just think of your typical Christmas movie. You know what I mean? All like holiday, just all of them ones that you find on Netflix and Prime. Man, if they get your little heart a flutter, you know what I mean? If you look at those and you just think, man love the holidays, then this will do that for you, you know, it hits all of those beats, right, it, we start off with everyone planning a wedding, and just getting everything ready, but it's, you know, in like these movies, it's building a way where it's not real, 
right? Everyone's got a stupid grin on their faces. Everyone, you know what I mean? They they take a kiss, but then they it's like that paused, freezed moment, perfect for the picture, you know? It's that, right? You've got Maddie runs into the spot and starts dancing with the band, and you're just like, wait, what are you doing? <laughs> like, this is insane, right? It's just that, right? And Everyone in the film, you know what I mean? Like, no one talks. I mean, everyone's talking, but I mean, no one really talks to each other because everything, everything could be resolved if everyone just had conversations. You know what I mean? That That's the, that's the thing that's always crazy about these films is like people act in a way that you're just like, you are too grown to be acting like this. Like, what? What's happening here? Were you dropped in the head as a child? What are you doing? You know what I mean? It's like the sisters not wanting to drop, you know, tell Rachel a secret that she's literally going to find out in any minute. Right? And it's just like, it's probably worse if you don't say the thing. You know what I mean? It, it's just things like that. You're just like, what? And then, you know, because one of the big things going on in this, and it's not a spoiler, but Rachel, Caroline, and Daniela's mother died, has died. You know, it's been a while, but she's she's been dead, you know? And I think it's been 20 years. I feel it's been, yeah, I think it's been 20 years since uh, that happened or was happening as it were and so yeah like Rachel isn't over her mother's death which everyone knows but then things happen which you know she's then gonna be upset about this thing so just say don't like just spring something on and, and it's just like this isn't rocket science you know what I mean but people are just like oh if we don't say anything everything will be fine and it's just like this is this is crazy right then someone blows up and she's like I can't believe you did this and then they go away and then automatically like oh no what did I do oh and then they go back and everyone's like oh we understand and it's just that right? It's just that. It's, as I said, it's your typical Christmas movie, you know, but it is filmed well, right? You, you know, I mean, you don't look at anything, oh, that's terrible. I can't believe, like the only, like there are moments where the camera's held kind of too long, but like in normal film etiquette, I would say, but for a Christmas film, that is the traditional pause, you know what I mean? So it, it, it's how you want to look at this film, right? If you're looking in it like your everyday film, there might be things that you'd be like, wait, why is that happening? Why are we doing that? Why is everyone smiling all the time with a very big false grin on their face? But when you look at it through the Christmas magnifying glass, it all falls into place, right? It all makes sense. You know, I didn't like the songs, but I hate Christmas music. 
but so I feel it's cat. They're catchy. Right. So I think if you love Christmas songs, Christmas music, I think you're going to dig them. You know what I mean? I think you're going to dig them. There's a link to the, the the music on YouTube and a link to so you can purchase the album on Amazon. So, yeah, if you like the music, fill your boots, man. Have fun. I think you'll smile. You know what I mean? Like. The acting is fine, but. It's like all that Christmas acting. It, it feels a little bit too much, right? A little bit forced. But it's, you know what I mean? Just those hallmark Christmas films. You know what I mean? So it, it, it's, it's filmed in that manner. It's acted in that manner. You feel me? So I think coming into this, right, uh, it's depending what you're looking for. If you love a Christmas film, this will work for you, right? If you liked Mistletoe Ranch, if you liked Holiday, just all of them films, you will like this. If you enjoyed Into the Spotlight, because this is a very, you know, there's no, there's no swearing. It's not a offensive like someone raises their voice but it's not really raising their voice you know what I mean so yeah like into the spotlight was a, a you know had a very Christian moral fiber and you know you'll tie the knot is a similar film right it's a similar vein with a Christmas theme so yes if you like a Christmas film then Monday the 13th of November is when this will drop on all your favorite VODs. If you're in the UK, it's airing on ITV. I've got the link on the website so you can go fill your boots. If you've got a VPN, you'll be able to watch it there as well. You know what I mean? Otherwise, go pick it up on a VOD. All right, people, you'll tie the knot. There we go. Righty, right, people, as we draw to a close on part one, let's take a look and see what's happening in the world of films. So, right, you know, back, uh, I think it was last year, right, the um, Epics, aka MGM Plus series, Chapel Waif got renewed for a second season, which was a bit odd, because it was only meant to be a limited series. Well, everything's gone back to normal, because it has now been cancelled, right? So, if you were, um, you know, wondering, what the fuck, where would they take this story? You know, because it was based on Jerusalem's lot, right, from uh, Stephen King, which was a prequel to Salem's Lot, you know, uh, yeah, you now don't have to worry, you know what I mean, this is not gonna happen, <laughs> okay, so we um, talked about this uh, about a month or so ago, I feel, but, right, um, Netflix Scott Stuber, 
right, has uh, confirmed that Greta Gerwig's Chronicles of Narnia, well, the first of her two films that she's set at Netflix, will go into production next year. No word on what they're doing, though, right? So we haven't had the silver chair or um oh what's the other one bloody hell uh the magician's nephew that's it we haven't had those adapted the other films have been so we don't know if we're gonna get one of these other books or if they're starting it all from the giddy up who knows but uh yeah next year we will have more news all right so over at apple right um on the 22nd of november will be a christmas special right they're going to drop the Velveteen Rabbit, right, which is um, an adaptation of Marguerite Williams' children's book. It's going to be 40 minutes. Um, yeah, and it is being adapted by uh, Tom Bidwell with Jennifer... Perut and Rick Thiel directing. So, uh, yes. Right, it's starring Phoenix LaRouk, Helen, Helena Bottomer Carter, Nicola Collin, Bethany Antonia, Louise Chime Iba, and Patterson Joseph. So, uh, mark the 22nd down on the calendar. Now, we are also getting a, a remake of The Longest Yard. A third remake of The Longest Rod. Right? Um, this new version is... Oh, God. I feel I had it. It's from... Rodney Barnes, he's writing the script. Um, David Gale and Van Tufler uh, producing. Hmm. I thought we had a director. But I don't think we do. But, yeah. If you want another Longest Yard, Paramount, Gunpowder and Sky... Uh, bringing it to you. Okay, so in other news, and unsurprising news, right? After the success of Barbie um, and Super Mario Brothers, we knew we were going to get more of the same. And Nintendo have just confirmed that The Legend of Zelda is their next offering. Right, it will be directed by Wes Ball and it's going to be written by Derek Connolly. So, there we got it. Right now, um, we don't know the uh, the time frame of it, 
right? It's being produced by Shiguru Mayamoto and Avi Arad. But Mayamoto has said that um, it may take some time, but they're looking to do some great things. Uh-huh. So in other news, another Apple news, we are getting a Peanuts movie, which <laughs> I don't know what it is, people, but I do love me some Peanuts. Charlie Brown and Snoopy. Ah, there's just some magic about that, right? There is some magic. They're saying it's going to go into production um next year 2024 it's an animated feature right and we'll see the Pnax gang heading out on an adventure to the city and make some new friends along the way uh Kerry Kipatrick co-writes the script from an original story by Craig Swartz Brian Swartz and Cornelius Alano who, um, yeah, they are all writing this movie. Uh, Stephen Martino is going to be directing it. And, um, yeah, if you like the 2015 Peanuts movie, you'll be happy because he directed that one as well. Okay, so Bonnie Arnold will be producing. Right, Tara Sorensen head of Apple's children's department, said fans of all ages have been enamored with Peanuts on Apple TV+. Plus. With our unmatched library of Peanuts titles, an award-winning collection of stories that bring kids and families together. Apple is the pre-eminent home for Snoopy and Friends and offers a world-class selection of series and films featuring the most globally cherished animated characters. We can't wait for everyone to experience this heartwarming new adventure with Snoopy, Charlie Brown and the gang in the big city. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. You know what I mean? Okay, so... Rebel Moon, right? Part one is a child of fire. And here's the big one. So we know it's coming to uh, Netflix on the 22nd of December. But it's now been confirmed that it will be having a week's limited cinema release. Right? But not just in one location, in So from the 15th to the 21st of December, it will be hitting the Egyptian Theatre in Los Angeles, the Paris Theatre in New York, Tiff Bell Lightbox in Toronto, and the Prince Charles Cinema in London, which, man, that was a surprise, but hey, very, very cool. So, yeah, if you can't wait until the 22nd, you can watch it on the big screen, baby. You know what I mean? The um, part two, the Scargiver, is dropping in April the 19th, to be precise. So, I imagine it will be getting the same treatment with that one. 
Now, we're going to end on this, right? There was a lot of talk in the last few weeks about a lot of Marvel films, Blade being one of them. But, right, director Ian Demange has um, recently just said this in an interview with Deadline, right? They gave me DR which is so important. We are going to have fun because Mashala is such a deep actor. I'm excited to show a kind of ruthlessness, a roughness he has that allows him to walk the earth in a particular way. I love him for that. He's got a dignity and integrity, but there is a ferocity there that he usually keeps under the surface. I want to unleash that and put it on the screen man so yeah blade is still a go and locked into the 14th of february 2025 i don't know if that will happen right the strike still hasn't been finished we hear talks that it's close but you know there's a lot of moving parts but blade's gonna be an r right 18 so we're gonna get some good crazy shit now people this is the end of part one but as said there is a part two coming so we will see you there peace